G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Christie-David, and each and every episode, we bring in someone who is what I call best in breed. So someone who, uh, I guess, consumes, is all consumed by property and trying to help property investors on their journey. A bit like, a, a bit like what we do at our mortgage broken business, Atelier Wealth, we help property investors start out and scale up their portfolio. One of the big questions I get from property investors is, Okay, I like Resi and I'm commercial, I'm a bit curious about it, but I just don't know where to start. And that's why we thought no better person to bring into the studio than Steve Polisi, who runs Police Property. G'day, Steve. Hey, Aaron, how are you going? Thanks for having me on. Mate, thanks for joining us. And I know you're joining us from beautiful London. uh, And I just want to say thank you very much for your time. That's all right. So tell us, uh, I mean, let's start there and go, you've, you've obviously um, picked up digs and, and moved them across. And I think, you know, the wonderful world of COVID has taught us that you know, when it is a computer and to be available and accessible and maybe we can run our businesses from anywhere, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful achievement to be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. I, I was actually only planning to come over for a month and I found now with like COVID and computers and stuff, it yeah. doesn't affect anything. So just join my last bit of freedom before kids and whatnot. Mate, there you go. I can tell you now, get the sleep. Uh, get the travel, <laughs> but it's also a, a great journey as well, mate. So I wish you guys every success. Um, beautiful, mate. The I feel someone of your ilk and caliber. Yeah, we're, we're super grateful to have you on. Um, not only have you been there, done that in terms of building your own high-performance property portfolio, which I think is a real testament to you and, and uh, your tenacity, but also now you've kind of passed the baton on to help new investors kind of transition into the world of commercial purchasing and uh, assets. So I wanted to kind of kind of lift the hood on your business and how you do it and obviously get that secret source and, and also answer a lot of frequently asked questions that we get from our clients. But before we kick off, I do want to start with what we call the three P's. So a bit about yourself personally, uh, a bit about yourself mm-hmm. professionally, and a bit about yourself on a property side as well, mate. Okay, that's fine. All right, so personally, um, funnily enough, even though I've got like a passive income from my portfolio, I'm not actually driven by money. Like mm. every, everything that I enjoy doesn't cost a lot of money. I enjoy like rock climbing, climbing mountains, hiking, travel and things like that. Awesome. doesn't actually cost that much money. Like even when I'm in Australia, I, I drove a $12,000 camper van. So just I love it. I, I didn't want to wait. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that, that's me personally. Uh, professionally, I used to be a structural and mechanical design engineer. Yeah. I, I noticed you had an engineering background, which works. Yeah. It transitions very well to property, doesn't it? It transitions to anything, to be honest, mm. just because it's it's just problem solving. That's that's yeah. all engineers, and I, I was design as well. So it's literally just given given a problem, work out a, a mathematical solution to fix it most of the time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, did that for about seven years. Was designing like medical machines, and then went wow. into mine sites. And in the background, I I always knew I wasn't a corporate. Like yeah. hated wearing college shirts, and <laughs> even just turning up the nine to five. I'd rather mm. do a twelve hour day than have half a day off, for instance. Yeah. Um. So that that was the driver for growing my portfolio. I just I think when I left engineering, I had about eight properties and a, about a fifty grand passive income. Beautiful. And they went, look, I'm I'm doing property every single night when I get home. Why not just do it as a job? And started out there, and I started out in the resi space. So I've got about seven hundred residential property acquisitions now under my belt. So quite a few. Yeah. Um, and and I, I wasn't even looking at commercial then. And then just coincidentally, I had a client who wanted to me to find him a commercial and. I had a look at one and went, I'm missing something here. The numbers are too attractive. What mm. am I missing? And then 
bought it and it acted as expected and yeah, it just went on from there. Beautiful. So I call it almost an accidental investor when you talk about your, your transition to commercial, right? So maybe you didn't have those the fears or maybe you, you've dwelled on it and it's like, oh, that's, I'm, I'll stick to Resi because that's safe. You've gone, hang on, the numbers make sense. I'm a little bit agnostic about what the asset is. Let's go for commercial. Yeah. I, I also got to do it with someone else's money, which is a r- bit rarer for most mum and dad investors. Yeah, okay, so yeah. less less risk on my part. And then, yeah, once once you kind of get a handful on the belt, that, that's where I got my confidence from. And now obviously I have to translate that for clients. Yeah, beautiful. So take me through uh, your first commercial purchase, if you may. So kind of your own journey and how that's that's translated for you and as you've grown your portfolio as well, mate. Okay, um, so my it's a it's a cafe in Ipswich, Brisbane. Beautiful. So that's west west Brisbane, just next to the train station. Yeah, it's a freestanding building with ten car spots, development potential up to forty two meters, and the tenant at the time I think had a four year lease on it. Um, I actually sent that to two clients, and they said no to it. One of them didn't like cafes, and the other one actually just didn't like Ipswich, the region in general, because it is slightly lower socioeconomic areas. Okay. So they said no, and I'm just like, this is a brilliant property. You've got, imagine owning like in Sydney, uh, a freestanding building next to Parramatta Station mm. with 10 car spots, and it was only 440 grand and a 7.2% net yield. Wow. So I was just like, look, this ticks all the boxes. Yes, like cafes can come and go and things like that, but it was versatile enough. It could have been a baker, barbershop, a hairdresser or anything like that. Yeah, okay. um, So yeah, I, I just went, no, I think, I think this is a good buy, and it's turned out to be one of my best performers. It's about worth about double now. I actually rent the car spots out to commuters. So nice. that actually gives me an extra five, six grand a year cash flow. So, um, yeah, that was my first one. It was just my clients didn't want it. And I went, no, oh, I'm going to jump on this. The, uh, what I love when buy, I hear buyers agents do that, it's, it's what I call skin the game. They're like, I will put my money where my mouth is. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my clients and vice versa, isn't it? Yeah, the, the hard thing with commercial though, there's no definition of what a good property is because some people are driven by yield, okay. some people are driven by location, some driven like by length of the lease, some are proximity to CBD, some are certain asset classes. No, no one's actually got a crystal ball to say this is definitely going to grow. Mm. So everyone has their own little preference and you've got to kind of work around that as well. Perfect. And it kind of feeds into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is everyone looks at commercial is going exactly what you said. You've got warehouses, you've got cafes, you've got restaurants, you've got barbershops, you've got retail space, you've got big box you know, sites up in Queensland, uh, you've got professional suites and it's like, where do you start? So it's, always, it's almost easier to see why people go to Resi because it's less choice and um, maybe less risk. But you go, commercial has that breadth and depth of variety, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And stuff for like retail, that, that can also be anything. That can be like a retail shop. It can be a converted house. Mm. Um, even some types of industrial properties have a retail shop on the front as well. So to get started, I'd just choose one. I'd go, I'd go with your gut feeling of the one you kind of like the most and get as much educated as you can about it. Um, so if you're going to go retail, go retail and learn the things that you need to check. Like you need to check foot traffic and road traffic for a retail, whereas that's not as important for industrial. Industrial is like arterial road access and turning circles for trucks mm-hmm. and things like that. So don't try to be an expert at all of them. Choose one and then go down that path and get as educated as you can. And then narrow it down to a region as well. Don't, don't look Australia-wide like I have to for clients. Choose, all right, cool, I'm going to pick Southeast Queensland as my spot. And then that way you'll get a better feel for price comparables. Um, you'll get to know the agents as well and you have a few more discussions. So like like anything, the more education you have, the better outcome you're going to get. 
Beautiful. I mean, you talk about education. It's come up a couple of times, obviously something that you truly believe in because that's been your own journey and, and what you share. So has that inspired, because I know you've put a book out talking about commercial property you know, made easy and, and, and how, to, how to buy commercial. So take us through, I guess, the philosophy and the, the rationale behind your book because it's a great read. Yeah, so this is probably not the answer you're expecting. It was actually yeah. written out of frustration of phone <laughs> calls with clients. Boom. So, I, I hear you, mate. That's exactly why we do this because I was like, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I'm having the same conversation day in, day out. And some clients will forget because we can, you know, information overload will come at them with a lot of info and their ability to retain it isn't there. So whether it's a video, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, like watch, you know, watch, read, listen, do, like each client will learn in a different way. So sorry to cut you off there, mate, Brad. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did the same thing and I was just every phone conversation was the same. It was me explaining the difference between the types of commercial, who pays the tenants, how net yields work and all that type of thing. So I planned to just write a little 20-page e-book. I was going to actually, when when they book in my calendar invite, it sends them the e-book so they can actually read it before the call and then we can have a much better conversation about the nitty-gritty for their strategy and how we're going to help them. Beautiful. Um, 20 pages went to about 80 and then I looked at the 80 pages and went, okay, there's probably a book here. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, finished off the book. Was going to self-publish the book as well. I didn't know about how publishing works and things like mm. that. And then I was coincidentally just reading one of our competitors' books and I saw that they were published. I went, oh, I'll give them a call, see what things. And then sent it to the publisher. They straight away called me back and went, oh, you actually wrote a book. And I'm like, isn't that what everyone does in the industry? He's like, no, no, most people get a ghost written. They don't actually have time to write a book. And then, um, yeah, a month later, I was getting published on stores. Mate, fantastic. I've seen your book in stores. Mate. I mean, that's a proud moment personally, isn't it, when you go, hey, look, I've produced something of value. Yeah. Some, uh, uh, yeah, the publisher's seen value in it as well. I'm loving it at the moment because it's in the airports. So it's in all like oh, Australian nice. airports. Yeah. And just friends, family, clients taking photos, selfies with it in the oh, airports. Cool. a really cool feeling. Mate, well done. Congratulations. It's a huge achievement. Yeah. Should be proud. Thanks, man. Perfect. Um, one of the, and we've had a number of clients that have made that transition to buying commercial, but the conversations that we've had, and again, very similar conversations, it, there's two common fears or two common maybe whole, uh, things that hold them back. They're like, what happens if the property's vacant? Like, that's one of the big concerns they've got. And then it's like, well, hang on. It's pretty easy to get revaluations and try and get equity uplift, i.e. capital growth, through a resi property compared to a commercial property. And I feel like you could probably bust that myth wide open because I've read about it. Yep. So but vacancy is a valid risk. But much like residential, mitigate the risk. So buy in a tightly held area or an area with low vacancy rates or an asset class that has low vacancy rates. Like with residential, you don't just go out and buy in a mining town because it's got better yields, mm. but vacancy rates might be higher. The mine might close, so the risk there. Industrial rates for the moment, they're, they're like 1.2 to 2.2% for industrial in most capital cities. So that's quite low. That's generally like a three to six month vacancy period. Right. And, and that, that's one of the hurdles you talk about is coming to that is, People with commercial think short term. They go, oh, what if I buy this commercial and it sits there vacant for six months or or even 12 months? What they're actually forgetting is what about the last 10 years where you were $30,000, $40,000 a year cash flow positive? Mm. So they're, they're looking in short periods, not long term. Residential, people have that mindset of, cool, I'm buying this as a 10-year investment. I want to get some really good capital growth. But for some reason with commercial, they focus on that small little period where you're going to get a tenant. Different types of properties are going to have different vacancy periods, different tenancy periods. Something like a, a small warehouse, yeah. you'll go through a new tenant every five to 10 years, but vacancy periods are like one to three months because there's a lot of sole traders willing to jump on the space. 
Whereas if you go and you buy like a $2 million one, you'll have the tenant on average 10 to 20 years. But if they leave, the vacancy period will probably be six months to 24 months. So it's just a balance between what you're buying, where you're buying, what the risk profile is. Um, Certain types of retail, like the ones where you like the suburban shops and things like that, they have much longer tenancies. Like some of those are 15 to 30 years. However, the vacancy periods are two to three years. So it's just, you need to look at it. And this, this is the hard thing with commercial. You can't just go on a website like SQM and look up the vacancy rate for the area because they're all different. Like mm. a retail one, the middle third of the strip will actually have a tighter vacancy rate than the end away from the car park. And then obviously one street back, completely different kettle of fish. That's that's completely different vacancy rates, different foot traffic and road traffic. So commercial is a lot more difficult to get your head around. So um, to kind of circle back to the question you asked about where to get started, yeah, focus on something simple. So I, I'd actually generally push people into, if they're going to do it themselves, go industrial, because it's a little bit easy to get comparables. You can compare apples with apples and work out square meter rates. And you've got comparables in the same complex. You've got comparables in the adjoining complexes. Things like, I get people like a medical center. They go, oh, I want to yeah. buy a medical center. I go, oh, cool. You know, there's zero comparables for that. And they kind of get all shocked like, how do I work out all my numbers? So um, industrial is probably a good starting point for most. Or office space if you're into that, but I'm, I'm personally not into that at the moment for obvious reasons, but um, um, we can have a chat about that if you like as well. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have another chat at some point in the future because this <laughs> is not enough time to fit into one chat as well. So yeah. Um, uh, the the capital growth one, so trying to get valuations because this is, I mean, and a lot of brokers will specialise in resi or a lot of buyers agents will specialise. So I feel like there's a heavier skew towards resi and then commercials may be the flavour for, for someone that's self-employed, but that's often not the case. So the buyer for a commercial property, you don't necessarily buy that for yourself if you're self-employed. It's a great investment because the yield return is fantastic, Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. The the thing we don't talk about though is they actually still have comparable like uh, capital growth. It's it's a complete misconception that aren't grown. If you don't believe me, go go look at any commercial property ten years ago and look at the price then compared to now. Mm. They're almost like like and there there almost has to be some form of compatibility with the residential market because you're not going to have a a five hundred grand warehouse sitting next to a million dollar house and the million dollar house go to two million dollars. And then the five hundred thousand dollar warehouse stay at five hundred thousand because the people in the two million dollar house is going to look at that going, well, that's getting twice as much rent as my house, but it's a quarter of the price. Why wouldn't I buy it? Yeah, okay. they just ha- they they just happen at different cycles. They don't generally happen at the same time. So the residential market will grow, and then people will say, oh, look, residency's better than commercial because it's grown. But when the resi market's not growing and commercial's quietly growing in the background, they don't mention it. And then different commercials are going to grow different. A high density office suite in the city is completely different to a warehouse that has a land component, which is completely different to a converted residential that might be like a medical centre. They've all got different kind of capital growth. But if the fundamentals are there, like the land component, and it's kind of got demand, you will have similar capital growth. The the last 30 average, you're talking 4.8 to 6.4% on average for most commercials, which is pretty pretty similar to residential. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess the other holdback for a lot of commercial buyers is the LVRs. So we're talking about loan-to-value ratio. So sometimes a deposit is higher than the resi, which then becomes one hurdle to overcome possibly as well, right? Yeah. And then then that's why you need to assess why you're buying the commercial and when in your portfolio. Like if I've got a younger client and say say they don't have any properties, there's no point me going out buying them a commercial property on a 70% LVR. Mm. I'd much rather them go out, even leverage some LMI, 
So go out and buy three three residential properties on 90% loans because if we get some capital growth, they're going to make three times as much that way. Mm. Um, but that's because I know they're also going to work for the next 10 years. They don't need the serviceability or the cash flow to help them in their lives. But on the flip side, you might have an older client with quite a lot of capital, say they're 60 years old and they want to retire in a few years. Me going out buying a neutrally geared or negatively geared residential property does not help their retirement at all. So yeah, that's kind of perfect. And then you're going to have that full spectrum of the mix in between. So it's just... It's about working out kind of what you're trying to achieve over what time frame versus what your risk profile is and then kind of bring it back from there. Um, the good news is there's quite a few lenders at the moment doing 80% LBI. Yes, but I ANZ at the moment, P&I, yeah. um, 2.8%, 30-year mortgage. So right. um, there's stuff like that's coming up, which, which is actually bringing it now on, on, on part of this, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, it's in, actually, yeah, 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 like exactly right. It's, 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 rem- it's removing that kind of difference in price, but yeah. At some point, you're going to have to go a 70% LBR, yeah. um, and that, that's just part of the game. It's also why you get the return. I point out to people the cash flow alone will generally pay back that 10% deposit in two or three years anyway. So you've got, you've got to weigh up that aspect of it as well. Yeah, okay, cool. One of the other concerns that then comes up is, and you mentioned it before about vacancy rates. So is, and it's no way to, there's no way to predict it, but is tenant screening did then become super important that you go, hey, I can see the value in their business. Like, how do you then judge a good tenant versus a great tenant that's going to be there for quite some time and not have that turnover effect effectively when you know small businesses fail. So this, this is one of the, the art of commercial investing is actually trying to do the business analyst side of it as well. So yeah. you need to look at the business and picture is one, is it, are they in an industry that's going to remain there long-term? That's okay. first, first and foremost. Like I wouldn't go out and just buy like a, a bank at the moment because who knows if they're going to be there in the next 10 years. Probably not. Yeah. But this is, this is the hard one as well. The better business you buy, actually, sometimes the more likely they're going to move. Because if you're buying yeah. a very, very successful business, say it's like an industrial space, yep. guess what good businesses do? They, they grow, grow. Yeah. and they outgrow the space. So they upsize or they go buy one themselves. Yeah. So it's this, that, it's that balance. I always prepare for the worst. I, I, I try to check that they're a good long-term tenant in terms of like check their P&L statements, check their rental ledgers, make sure the industry is going to last forever. But you always prepare for the worst. Always prepare for the, okay, one day they're going to leave because they will. They won't be there for 100 years um, mm. and then go from there. It depends what scale you're buying. If, you, if you're looking in the kind of three mil plus price point, um, you're going to get a tenant for a very, very long time because they rent a space with room to grow. If you're buying a slightly cheaper one, like a sub-million dollar one, just be prepared every seven to 15 years is you're going to have to go through the tenant. So you prepare for that. Okay, cool. So that then leads me to my, like, one of my other questions, which is, you talked about the reason. So you've got kind of capital growth or you've got cash flow. You've got low maintenance or you've got something that you can maybe do something in the future, which is maybe the site that you bought in Ipswich, right, which has future potential development upside as well. Then you've got, say, the professional suites, the industrial warehouses. You have a trained eye. You've seen hundreds, probably thousands of properties, right? So what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to? And I guess what makes that decision, that what makes the cut versus other properties that you just go, no, not, that's not client worthy? Yeah, so so we we as a team go through about four hundred properties per week in the yeah, commercial okay. space. Yep. Of that four hundred, we probably only thumb mark about ten, wow, and then okay. of that ten, probably only two or three we come at a price we're happy to pay for the client. So to, to answer your question, it's just you got to know the areas that you're buying in. So like I've been doing this for so long, I I know what areas have high vacancy rates and low vacancy rates. The everyday investor who's having a look at it is just going to have to do the grunt work. So say they find an industrial property and they want to find the vacancy rates, 
They're going to have to go on CoreLogic and try to find some comparables and okay. how long leasing campaigns went for. They're going to have to talk to some property managers in the area. But then they're going to have to talk to town planners as well just to find out what future developments are coming on the market just to make sure there's no oversupply. And that, that's just a fraction. That's that's two out of ten of the kind of work they have to do yeah. just before they say, yep, I'm going to start negotiating on this property. Even after you've actually agreed on a price, that's when the real negotiation, oh, sorry, uh, the real due diligence starts. That's when you start talking with tenants, doing lease review, contract review, checking all their financials, assessing foot traffic, road traffic, turning circles, um, all the future developments going on in the area. That That's where the work There's There's generally 40 to 80 hours on a commercial before you go through the whole process and say, yep, I like this property. Yeah, I guess that when I talked about you know lifting the hood on your business, that's probably the stuff that you know, clients don't see. Like they give you a brief and off you go and you, you go on your merry way and try and shortlist properties, but they're not seeing. And you mentioned the word due diligence; they're not seeing that because um, they're not, probably not exposed to it. But yeah, the amount of I guess grunt work that you're doing to say yes or no to properties uh, has become second nature to you, and you got that trained eye as well. Yeah. Once once we present them to clients, we, we give them our due diligence report, and this is actually a funny like discussion contention is. It's about 40 pages, the one we do. Yeah, wow. It actually should be about 100 pages. But I found when I was sending 100 pages to some clients, they just kind of went too much. Like, is it yeah. a good property or is it not a good property? Yeah. And then if I if I only gave it, if I summarized it and did it in a five-page one for them, they kind of say, well, why am I paying you? You've only done five pages worth of work. So it was this weird conundrum I got yeah, stuck yeah. in where I had to find this midpoint that it was enough to show, look, we're checking everything, but not too much. They got overwhelmed. Yeah, nice. Like just my... Well, I give them access to my Dropbox. The Dropbox. There's normally about a hundred files in there by wow. the time it all adds up. So yep. it's 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 a lot more complicated and residential. But the rewards are there. You go out and buy a million dollar commercial property on a six seven percent net yield. You're talking thirty thousand, thirty five thousand dollars passive income from day dot. Like you buy a couple of those instead of a residential property, and you can you can almost retire. Mm. So you mentioned net yield as well. So I mean, we talk pretty much gross a lot of the time in resi, but you're talking net. For example, so let's just go there for a second because you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times. And again, when we try to explain it to a client, they're just not uns- they're, they're a little bit unsure about what that actually means, mate. Yeah. So, so with residential, you'll say gross yield, and the reason it's a gross yield is because as an owner, you have to pay the outgoings. Yeah. You pay the maintenance on the property, the council rates, the water rates, generally all the bills like insurance and things like that. With commercial, it's a net yield, and this is this is one of the benefits of commercial is the tenant actually pays all your outgoings. Yeah, wow. They pay the maintenance of the building, council rates, water rates, insurances. On larger commercials, they even pay your land tax, which is ridiculous. Mm. Um, and then some of them, they'll pay property management as well. So you actually don't have any other outgoing besides whatever debt you have on that property. So that, that's why I use the word net. So if you have a, a million-dollar property on a 6% net yield, that's $60,000 the tenant pays you into your into your bank account. And then they cover all the other expenses. So the only other property, uh, only other debt outgoing you're going to have is whatever debt interest rate you have on that property. Okay, cool. Perfect. And then just one last point is some of the, uns- I guess, the unseen costs or the stuff that pops up from time to time. Is there GST payable, stamp duty? Like, take me through some of those extra costs that maybe catch new players or rookies out and they go, I didn't actually know that was coming up. Yeah, you so, so if you buy well. a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you buy a vacant commercial property, you will have to pay GST on the purchase price. Um, the good news is you actually get that back on your first BAS statement or whatever structure nice. you're buying. Uh, I think if you buy a tenanted one, it's considered a going concern. So you don't actually pay any GST. The, the extra costs I find that most people get caught out on um, is actually when you're buying the property. So you're, 
you'll generally have to pay slightly higher kind of building pest inspection because it's a little bit more specialized. Yeah. Um, the, the conveyancing and soliciting costs will be a little bit more as well because you do things like lease reviews, mm. and contract reviews, and just generally they charge a little bit more. Uh, but then the most surprising one for people, and you know about this obviously, is the valuations. Yeah. Banks don't just do a desktop valuation. You you have to pay for the valuation on the property, which can generally be $800 to $2,500, depending mm. on the kind of size of the commercial. And that's a good point as well is you don't just go back to a lender every six months and say, hey, I want to pull out some equity. Can you revalue the property? Because... One, you've got to make sure that there's equity there. Otherwise, you're paying for the valuation and you're not getting anything. But two, you need to be mindful when the lease finishes as well. Yeah, very unlikely fun. you buy, say, something with a, a three-year lease on it and you're a year and a half into that lease that you're going to go back in the next year and a half and revalue it. You're most likely going to wait for them to sign a fresh lease so it looks good in the bank's eyes. Then you can go back and refund it. So it's a little bit more juggling in terms of the finance game as well, which you're well-versed in. Mm. And that's, again, we talk about tips for new players. That's one that catches them out going, when can I revalue this property? That's why Resi is kind of easy to revalue because you can just go and go again and get multiple bank valuations done. But if you're kind of partway through your lease, for example, it's just not that easy to pick up and move banks, for example. And you're also bound by that lease term as well and how you've structured that loan to begin with. It's it's also why you want to be working with a well-versed commercial broker as well, not just Mm. a residential one. Like, a, a good residential one will get something across the line. They'll go to a major yeah. lender and get it across the line. But a good commercial broker knows all these types of things. I'll talk about it. Then they'll talk about the pros and cons about the different loan periods with, with commercial. Then there's things like lease stock loans and yeah. no doc loans. So it's a different lending landscape as well. There's commercial only lenders. Yeah. So you need to just get your head around it. And this is why you have a good commercial broker like someone in your team. Just yeah. to make sure that you're crossing the T's and dotting the I's correctly. It is. It is a very specialist type of lending. You're spot on. It's. Um, I know at the start we we wouldn't do it just because the risks are too high. You don't want the client to be in the wrong loan structure or you know not purchase it properly, the right entity. Uh, and now as you see it and watch and learn, you, you start to gain that confidence, and you've seen you know clients that have gone to do to great things and build a great performing uh, commercial property portfolio. Perfect, mate. Any parting words for anyone considering uh, buying commercial? Uh, to get educated. There, so five years ago, like there was nothing out there, no podcasts, no books, yeah. anything like that. There's there's a plethora of well, not a plethora. There's there's quite a lot of them now. So do a bit of Google, read articles, listen to podcasts, buy my book, things like yeah. that, um, and you go from there. Mate, speaking of book, we're being fortunate that we can give away a few copies, so we'll definitely be putting the link uh, in the show notes below. And I, I really appreciate your generous. Um, donation of those books, mate. It's uh, definitely going to have some king clients. Steve, all the way from London, I want to say thank you very much. Um, I, get, I, I know we're going to get you back on at some point, talk about your property portfolio, talk about your journey running your business from, uh, from halfway across the world, which you seem to be doing flawlessly, mate. So well done. It's a testament to yourself and your team. No worries. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No dramas at all. That's a wrap for another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. If you found that helpful, you want to reach out to Steve and his team at Policy Property, we'll include the link to their company details below. Until next time, take care.